How are you this morning? Good to see you guys. Good to have all your smiling faces here to worship with us this morning. It's a beautiful, beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, my name's Will. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I, uh, it's, I'm part of the, the team here at Grace and excited to dive into the Word of God together this morning. Um, there has been there has been a phrase for a really, really long time that I have absolutely hated. And that phrase is, you'll get it when you're older. You ever said something like that? Have you guys heard that? Those who are in middle school and high school over here, like, you guys heard that? You'll, you'll understand when you're older. It takes other forms. You'll understand when X and when X happens. Like, you just, you just won't get it till you get to that point. It just... It just grips me and I hate it. And I think the way I've processed that for a long time is I can't or I won't take the time to explain it to you, right? That's, that's what goes through my head when I hear someone say that to me. I either can't, I don't know how, or I'm not going to take the time to actually explain it to you. And it has just, it has just gripped me and I just hate, hate hearing that from people. And yet... As I have gotten a little older, I realize that there are just some things that I could not have gotten until I have done that, right? Until I have gotten up with an infant 16 times in the middle of the night, I don't understand the exhaustion tired that is exhaustion tired with a toddler and an infant at home, right? It is just a whole new level. But as Christians, as people... There is this word called empathy. And empathy does not mean that I have to fully understand and fully know and have been there myself to feel with you. It means that I can imagine, I can put myself in, that, in, in your shoes and, and imagine what you might be feeling like. And in fact, as a Christian, this is part of the expectation of following Jesus, of of being a Christ follower, Romans 12, 15, Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, right? There is this expectation that we put ourselves in the shoes of someone who has been there, and we imagine to the best of our ability what it is like. And then when we get there, if we experience X, then we have a little bit more of a personal knowledge. We understand a little bit more deeply the extent of that feeling, right? I I have not buried a parent yet. I am not looking forward to that day at all. I can't imagine what that's like. I can't imagine what it's like to bury a child. I imagine from walking with people who have been there, done that, it's much like ripping your heart out from your chest and having someone stomp on it. And so I can put words to things like that, right? I can imagine what it is like to be there, but until I'm actually there myself, I don't understand the depth to that emotion or to that feeling. Last week, we started a new series here that we've entitled Faith by Design. We've been going through the book of Matthew, and we're in this section now that contains some kind of miscellaneous teachings of Jesus where where we, we, as I described it last week, we're getting a little bit more into the details of faith, right? Jesus paints with this broad brush of the greatest commandments are to love God and love people. And, and that can look like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And last week we talked, tackled this topic of forgiveness, 
And we can talk about the biblical idea of forgiveness. We can see how Jesus illustrates it. We can see what, what that looks like from a biblical point of view. But, but I've not been in your shoes. I don't know what's happened in your life. And I can't, I can't begin to imagine that. And I'm not going to ever claim that I know what you're feeling or what you're going through because I've not been there. Even if we have a same shared experience, you're different than I am. Right? Other people involved are different. Right? Circumstances are, are different. And so as we talked about forgiveness, I wanted to come back to this idea real quick because it's important as we talk about our topic today also that I don't know where you're coming from. And as we talk about the details of faith and we start to zero in a little bit more of what it means to love God and to love people, we can't tackle everybody's specific case. Right? We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty details of, of this is what forgiveness looks in this case, and this is what forgiveness looks in this other case. And, and we looked at this, this, this overarching principle still that forgiveness means completely removing the offense and working towards restoration of relationship. If you are in or have been in an abusive relationship, though, restoration of relationship does not mean going back there. It does not mean going back to that relationship. It does not mean you know, going back to that marriage or to, to that place that, that was abusive. But it means being able to go into Walmart and when you see your ex, when you see that person coming towards you, that you're not holding that offense against them to the degree where you can go up, you can shake their hand. There, there, there can be a possibility of relationship to some degree because there's not this thing that you're holding on to. If you have been in that place, if you are in that place, I just want to say that we want to walk with you through that as much as we can. There are some resources that we would love to, to help you in that. Whether you're online, in person, you're not alone, and we would love to help in, in whatever that might look like. There's another topic we're going to be tackling today where I kind of say the same thing, that I can imagine what it's like to go through, through this, but I have not been there. And in Matthew chapter 19, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they come up to Jesus and they ask him a question about divorce. They say to Jesus in verse 3, the Pharisees came up, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, like they, they know scripture. They know the law. They know the expectations. They, they're familiar with the law as it exists in their day. Like they're, they're not really asking because they want to know. They're asking to test. They're asking to trap Jesus because they want to catch him, to arrest him, and ultimately then finally kill him. And in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't really answer the question. He reminds them about the meaning and the purpose of marriage. He answers them in verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they no longer are two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined, let no man separate. Right? There is this unity that we talk about at wedding ceremonies all, this, all the time. Right? There's this unity that happens in marriage. And so when, when Jesus is asked about divorce, he's like, no, no, let me remind you about the intention behind marriage. That is that we don't separate because there's, there's, there's not two individuals that they've been one. 
There's this, this unity in, in soul, in spirit, in flesh to a large degree. Right? Paul emphasizes this in, in 1 Corinthians 7, 4. He says, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Right? There is this even idea from a physical point of view that, that my body is no longer completely my body because of their unity here. The unity here in marriage is so deep. The unity here is so complete. Uh, He puts it this way. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Right? There is this unity that happens in marriage that we we don't grasp. We don't realize the significance of this unity that happens in marriage. And when, when we come together, when two people come together in marriage, right, there's no longer two but one. And you can't divide one thing, right? It is, it is so united together, formed one, that it should not be separated. Now, just to be clear, as an individual, we're all, we all start single, right? We're not married as we come into this world, you are not half a person, right? If you are single, you are not half a person. If you're just single in your stage of life right now, if you, are, if you have experienced divorce and are single, you are not half a person. It's not like there's half a person here and half a person and they come together and make a whole person. You are fully person. And there's this beautiful, amazing thing in marriage. You take one whole and one whole, united in marriage, and you have one whole. In this case, one plus one equals one. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And there's, there's a mystery here. There, there's a, a power here in this, this unity and this one. Jesus says, can't, should not be separated. So they press him. And they ask him then, why in the Old Testament, why did Moses allow this? Verse 7 they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Deuteronomy 24, a couple other Old Testament passages talk about this certificate and Moses allowing it to happen. And again, this time Jesus, he addresses this question a little bit more head on, but he still talks about the heart. He still so peels back the, the, the real question, the, the surface question and gets to the heart of it. And he continues and he answers them in verse not, verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. <clears throat> and so I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. Right? Still, as he answers this question, it's not about the divorce. It's about the intention and the purpose of marriage. As he's talking to these religious leaders who are trying to trap him, Jesus' emotions come through here as he calls out their hardness of hearts. But I think as he was, if he was talking to us today, he would put it a little bit of a different way, a little bit more compassion on it. Why is divorce allowed, permissible? Because we're human. We sin. We make mistakes. And the mistake is sometimes this breaking of the marriage covenant, right? The divorce, it's a piece of paper. It's the legal formality, 
It's the period, maybe on the end of a sentence, and, and there's a lot of weight, and there's a lot of emotion that comes with that. And I can only begin to imagine what the finality of that divorce feels like. But that document and that paper that you sign is a reflection of what happened months ago, years ago. And that is that the marriage covenant had been broken. Here in Scripture, what Jesus says, except for sexual morality, he makes this allowance here in Scripture for, um, for this one marital unfaithfulness that happens, and that's, that's then permissible. But it's not about this one thing. As Jesus emphasized over and over again, it's the breaking of this marriage covenant, and there are many other things that break marriage covenants. I've heard so many pastors and Christians say, well-meaning, well-intended, I'm sorry your spouse is beating you, but if they're not cheating on you, then you can't get a divorce. And that's just not true. Because it's not about the divorce, it's about the marriage covenant. It's about the unity. And there's a lot of things, there, there's a lot of things I do that I have done in marriage that have fractured and cracked and broken this marriage covenant that I made to Hannah years ago. I think one of the greatest things in our world today that breaks and cracks this marriage covenant is pornography. It makes, it's a, it's a bigger industry in our world today than the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA combined. Right? It, it is so damaging to marriages and relationships, and it breaks the marriage covenant. And in a study in 2016, 55% of adults over the age of 25 thought pornography was wrong. So 45% of adults over 25 see nothing at all wrong with it. But it is breaking that marriage covenant. Most affairs start with an emotional affair. Right? There, there's an emotional relationship that starts before it gets physical, and, and it's the emotional piece that, that pulls this unity apart, that, that breaks this marriage covenant. Right? Anger, anger directed at your spouse cracks and breaks this marriage covenant that you've made. If in your frustration, right, we, if you've been married more than a day, there's something that your spouse has done that has been frustrating. And there's a very fine line between I need to vent about this thing, this thing that I'm frustrated about. The, the dishes were left on the sink again. The, the laundry's next to the basket, not in the laundry basket, right? This is a frustrating thing. And there's a very fine line between I'm frustrated about this thing and I can't believe they are like this. I can't believe they start keep keep doing this. And it's not about the thing, it becomes about the person. And that breaks, that starts to crack and pull away at this marriage covenant, this marriage relationship. Husband bashing, wife bashing, getting the girls together, the guys together. I can't believe they are just so, oh, it breaks, it pulls apart at this marriage covenant. That's supposed to be united together in one. Physical, emotional abuse pull apart this marriage covenant. Self-centeredness. 
selfishness, me trying to promote myself above my partner, above my spouse, breaks and pulls apart this marriage relationship and covenant that was made. Right, withdrawing when I'm hurt, when I'm grieving, and I just want to withdraw, I just need some time alone. But you pull your pull away to the detriment of your marriage. And that breaks this marriage relationship, this marriage covenant that's been made. It's not about the divorce, but it's about this covenant that you made where you guys are one together. Where there is a unity in marriage that cannot, should not be separated. The question is, how much of that can we work through? Because while there may be this allowance, there's this permission for divorce, As Jesus emphasized, it's not about divorce, it's about the intention of marriage. And so how much, going back to last week, can we forgive? How much can we forgive and move towards restoring the relationship? How much can we forgive and and try to mend and, and get this unity back together? This marriage relationship and this marriage covenant, how much can we, can we look past? Can we completely eliminate the offense that happened and restore this relationship? And, and when dishes are left on the kitchen sink, or in the sink instead of the dishwasher, or wherever it is supposed to go, right? There's a lot more ability to forgive when it's little things like that than when there is an affair, when there is cheating, when, there, when something bigger happens. But the question then that we have to wrestle with is, how much can I forgive? How much can I forgive and how much are we together? Because there's no I in marriage, right? There's no I in marriage. I don't know how you spell marriage. I don't put an I in marriage, right? Because there's this unity. There's this unity that's there. How much are we together able to work towards this? And there is this reality about forgiveness, about even marriage, that I can only do so much to, to control's a really bad word there, to, to have influence over what the other person is willing to do. I, as far as it depends on me, can forgive. I can go to marriage counseling and therapy, and I can work on the marriage. But if there's not both sides, and sometimes then it will end in divorce. Romans twelve eighteen says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Right, this builds on this idea of forgiveness, of completely removing the offense between you and the other person and moving towards restoring the relationship, right? So, so how much can you do that? It's not about the other person. Yeah, but Will, you don't understand. They, they've done this thing, and they do this other thing, and it's just, how much can you remove the offense and move towards restoring the relationship? And in a similar way, removing, uh, restoring the relationship may not be going back to an ex-wife or an ex-husband to the, to the place that the relationship used to be to the type of relationship that it used to be. If you're divorced, right, this is not, then hey, you should go back and make things right and, and go back and marry the ex because of this unity here. If you've been remarried, and this, if you are remarried, this is not a 
then divorce your current spouse and go back to a previous relationship, right? But, but can we get to this place there where if we have kids, we can co-parent together? Can we get to this place that when we do see each other in the community, that there's not this tension, there, there's, there's not this, this wall that starts being built up within us, that there's not this thing that we're holding on to because we've been able to forgive and we've been able to restore the relationship. I've not been there. I don't know what that's like to actually walk this out. What I do know is that over and over and over again, what Jesus did was point not just to this idea of divorce, but back to the intention of marriage. And so I just want to share a couple things with you this morning that, that I want you to keep in mind if you are in this place. If you've been in this place, that first is that if you've been divorced, that divorce does not define you. Right? Nothing that I've done in my past that God has forgiven, that Jesus took to the cross, defines who I am. That my identity is child of God, co-heir with Christ. My sins, my addictions, whatever they may be in the past, like they, they do not define me. Right? You... You are not any less because of a divorce, because of a remarriage. Your, your marriage is not any less. If you've been remarried, if you are remarried, right, there is still this unity in marriage that you now have with your spouse. And it's not a, a less than unity. It's not a broken unity, right? It's not something. It is this unity in marriage. If you are single, if you are single because of a divorce or just in your season of life, especially you students over here, I'm going to call you out for just a moment because I can do that. Don't rush into marriage. Because there is a unity that is being formed that is not to be taken lightly. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul uplifts singleness. Because it's not two half people coming together to make a whole, right? There's two whole people. And you are whole on your own. Your marriage still does not define who you are. You are a child of God. You are loved. There is this unity in marriage. That when we break, when there's a fracture... We need to be able to go and to mend that with our spouse. There is a unity in marriage that we need to grasp that covers every aspect of our, of our marriage, of our life, when we are married. And so we emphasize marriage today as we talk about divorce, not in a way of avoiding the topic, and I really hope not in any way, not in any way that brings shame or guilt. Because shame and guilt died on the cross. Right? It, it got buried in the grave and it did not come back when Jesus came out of that grave. It is gone. I think too many times, not just with this topic, not just in this, in this way, we, we let shame, we let guilt come into our lives and it, we, we let it just sit 
in our soul. But regardless of your circumstance, regardless of where you are right now, regardless of where you've been, the question right now is you are all in your own circumstance, you're all in your own situation. As you try to wrestle through this on your own with where you are now, the question is not a yes, no, but the question that we must wrestle with is how in this moment, how in this circumstance, how can I best honor God? And you can honor God in divorce. And you can honor God in your marriage. And you can dishonor God in divorce. And you can dishonor God in your marriage. I know couples who have been married for 30 to 40 years. And by everyone's perception, they have a wonderful, strong marriage. But they sleep in separate rooms. And they have separate lives. And they do everything separately. And behind closed doors, there's not a marriage. And that is not a God-honoring marriage because God knows our heart and God knows where we are. So regardless of where you are, whether you're single, divorced, widowed, married, honor God to the best of your ability, period. Father God, we just come before you and we wrestle with this because we want to come and we want to really be like these, these Pharisees and ask these pointed questions of like, God, what does, what does it mean to do these things? And God, how do, we, how do we live this life? And it would be so much easier, God, to just have a checklist of do this and don't do that. But you have asked us, you've asked us to follow you. And we're all in different places. We're all in different relationships. We're all in, in, in so many different places right now that the God, what you continually point us back to is our heart. You continually point us back to the way we are created, the way we are made in your image, that we are children of God, that we were created by a perfect God. And you love us so much. So God, with whatever comes our way this week, with whatever circumstances come into our life, with whatever, wherever we are, may we just wrestle with this question of how we honor you to the best of our ability. Give us wisdom, put people around us to, to give us biblically, biblical, godly wisdom. And maybe wrestle with this question of what does it mean to honor you in everything we do? And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to pause in this moment to take communion as a church family. Because what happened on the cross years ago when Jesus went to the cross, when he died for all of our sins... He also took our shame. He also took our guilt. He took everything that was outside his original created design, everything not of him he took to the cross, and we, we don't carry that with us anymore. We can let it go. And every day we wake up, every moment we do fall, every mistake that we make, we can say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and we know that we don't have to carry that with us anymore. So we're going to pause in this moment to say thank you. 
I'm going to be down here. There'll be some other people from our prayer team around. If you would like someone to pray with you, if you are wrestling through anything that I said today, you don't have to come up right now, but can I please, please, please encourage you to come talk to me? Come talk to one of our elders. I, I have not walked this road, but some of our elders have, and they would love a chance to, to talk with you more about this. Because we are a community, we are a family, we are part of the body of Christ. So we're going to be in this together. We're going to work through this together. After your time of personal reflection, please go ahead and take communion on your own. Father God, we are so grateful for your love, your compassion, your forgiveness, and your grace. And Lord, I pray in this moment, I pray that you put on all of our hearts how we can do more to strengthen the marriage that we're in if we're married. How we can be encouraging to those who are single and, and waiting or single and trying to wrestle through what this next season may look like. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have drifted far from who you created us to be. Lord, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.